morning to everybody or good afternoon, whatever time of day it is. Um, I'm here with Dan Sandu. For those who don't know Dan, the very few on the planet that might not have seen one of his podcasts or been connected to him in some way. I've known Dan for eight plus years. He is a proven serial entrepreneur. He is an ed tech investor and proven ed tech CEO, global operator, um, and leader of multiple groups driving real evidence focus within the ed tech environment. That said, he's most recently taken a new role as the CEO for the Education Development Trust. So that's a different direction. So, Dan, what attracted you? Well, first of all, welcome on. Welcome, Dan, and thank you for coming. And secondly, what attracted you to the Education Trust? Uh, thanks, Julian. Really nice, very kind things you're saying. Half of those are true, half of those are in your head, but nevertheless, thank you very much for that. Um, perception is reality, as they put. So, thanks very much. No, it's been it's been a hell of a journey in education for me, and uh, as Julian said, I've known him for many years, and he's been very helpful, supportive, and um, insightful as to what's happening in education. Um, so yes, um, un until uh, for the last majority of my period in education, it's been either initially as an investor and then running education technology companies or being involved in um, educational, institutional educational support in sort of non-executive uh, roles like at OnBisa or at um, the Brookings Institution's uh, um, Centre for uh, uh, International uh, uh, Education. Uh, and that's all been very useful. Um, I came to the end of my journey at Sparks um, early this year, having done five years and actually brilliant team. And we, we built it to be one of the largest um, ed tech providers in the UK, covering sort of over nearly 60% of all secondary schools, great footprint in 25 countries. And I felt that I'd achieved everything I wanted to, having built that from a footprint of two schools down in Southwest England um, to covering so many schools and over 2 million uh, uh, children um, in you know, over 2000 schools in the UK alone. Um, and then I was looking at opportunities where I could continue with uh, an impact centric um, education journey um, and almost take all the learnings I've done from investing in education, building organizations and building um, education businesses to a much more global level. Um, education Development Trust operates in 40 countries. Um, I'll be starting my journey there. I haven't quite started yet, Julian. I'll be starting my journey there in early September. Um, but um, we operate in 40 countries with a team of over 1,200, support 9 million learners. Um, and, and that is split between the UK, uh, Southeast Asia, Middle East, Africa, um, Sub-Saharan Africa, um, and, and, and um, other countries on a range of activities. So it's, it's not just um, curriculum based, but in the UK, we look after um, early careers, professional development for teachers, MPQs, um, um, the uh, school-led tutoring in terms of the, the, the national uh, tutoring program, um, the um, national career service as well, um, as well as behaviour hub. So there's a lot of lot of active involvement in the educational infrastructure and developing the educational infrastructure, which is fascinating, um, both in terms of apprenticeship support and careers. Globally, we do a lot of work, um, both in the Middle East and Asia, in supporting uh, teachers and support uh, teachers in ELT and 
um, providing quality school quality assurance uh, frameworks, um, as well as doing a lot of work in sub-Saharan Africa with girls education. Um, so in, a, in addition to the research and innovation side of EDT, um, the global global consultants, etc. I think it's a great uh, organization, and I'm really looking forward to getting involved. The team I've met there so far are fantastic and passionate. So yeah, um, that'll be. I'd, I'd love to come back and talk to you about that in 12 months' time and see where we got to. You took the very words out my mouth. I look forward to seeing how you look to take that organization forward. There is no doubt of their pedigree, their reach, and their impact. It's I think the organisation is in an interesting transitional phase and it'll be interesting to see where you take them next. Yeah, I think the team, Patrick, have done a fantastic job growing. And I think um, uh, Patrick's decision to retire and that's the, the stage of his life is brilliant. So I think I think, yeah, and I think I'm going to rely on the heritage um, and the deep uh, uh, pedigree and pedagogy that exists in EDT and let's see where we go to so yeah and I'd love to talk to you about it brilliant brilliant but there's that's not why we've got you here today because with your significant global experience in ed tech we can't have a discussion without talking about AI many global schools and colleges have faced challenges in ensuring the equitable access to technology and online education how do you think EdTech organization can help address that issue of digital equity and inclusivity? I think um, I think it depends where your audience is. I mean, I'm going to take a UK perspective because that's probably most helpful. Um, okay. In terms of digital equity and inclusivity, if we start with the basics in the UK, most EdTech um, be it school facing or, or, or parent children directly facing requires base technology and the most basic um, access to uh, digital um, uh, ed tech is actually devices and so in the UK access to devices was always a challenge now the tragic circumstances of COVID aside one thing that drove was a massive increase in the availability of devices in the school environment that did make a substantial difference and I speak from experience in my previous position where that did change the way we thought about the business when there were substantially more devices available in school both access in the school and one-on-one -on -one devices so that, that's the, the basics of digital access is actually the device the yes. connectivity etc in terms of inclusivity there's still challenges there are regional parts of the uk where those devices aren't available if they're available at home there are three siblings accessing one device and that device belongs to the parent. So one has to be aware, the last stats I remember was about 83% of all uh, secondary school children had access to a device, which, you know, it's still 17% short. So, you know, there is yes. still issues about access. So I think EdTech providers need to be aware of that, not just assume that that 83% covers everything. If you don't look at look after the bottom quartile, you're doing a lot of damage. So that's the first thing is the ability for devices to be available in the school environment for our school clubs. So where, where children who don't have access to devices at home can use those devices in the school environment. Um, in, and, and that's from a UK perspective. Um, and that includes making sure that the technology is compliant with all regs around uh, device usage, those who are partially sighted or have other um, other traits which allow them not to use devices like everyone else does. Don't forget that, that does still make yeah. them, um, 
uh, impact, including homeschooling as well. So, so that's that. But, but I think from your question around global impact, I think mm. it's around edtechs going into the edtechs of the right reason. Edtech is not uh, for the faint-hearted. Edtech is not <laughs> for people who are in technology who think they'll have a go at education. Those, a majority, if not all of the people I know in education, went there to make a difference. And pretty much everyone I know starts off in the UK with a view that as they scale, they will make a substantial, um, sustainable difference in a global environment. I think that's always good to start off with. Um, and, you know, it's and I, it's, it's good to that, have that as a purpose where you can see what the impact you're going to do in the UK as a stepping off point and then start using that elsewhere. There are some great entrepreneurs who are already working from the UK in, in Southeast Asia, in Sub-Saharan Africa to drive that um, mobile uh, world where, you know, you, your, your provision of edtech um, is, is mobile savvy, it's mobile first. Um, you know, there's a number of providers from the UK who've adopted some great mobile technologies which are not even smartphone, but just function phone uh, access uh, in some countries in Africa where smartphones are great, but yeah. the, the majority of, of uh, users are still in analog. So yeah, so th I think there's lots of things. Some of it is mindset, some of it is access to the network. Understood. And for those, again, that uh, well, Dan, you know, Dan took Sparks into 25 countries. He understands this wider global landscape. Um, okay, I'd like to move on slightly to a much bigger question, which is in today's environment with all of the the noise in the market. We can't do a podcast with a proven entity leader like yourself. Uh, without talking about what's the global implication to the K-12 market of AI, you know, large language models on education. Do you feel we're all going to have digital partners soon? Great question. Obviously, we can't, no one in education can ignore that. Um, I think we need to kind of step back a bit. Um, we already have digital partners. You know, we just weren't in control. You know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Google have been digital partners for many, many years doing a lot of the pieces below the surface. How many stories have you heard about people getting uh, Google ads come up, not knowing how they managed to get exactly what they were thinking about or maybe even talking about, let's not get into conspiracy theory. But I, I think that that provision of digital partnership has already been there. What the change now is that it's, it's not um, implicit, it's explicit. We can control that partnership with ChatGPT where we actually have a direct opportunity to ask the question whereas previously it was just provided as a, um, a as a solution this is now much more of a product I, I think um, I think the answer is yes I think all the technologies we use uh, will get much more personalized where they are right now and um, any question I put into GPT is in my words and my thoughts and if that's interpreted I feel it's personal whether it's not doesn't really matter does it whether it's really truly personalized doesn't really matter yeah. A thousand people in the world are not going to ask what the best ice cream to get in Richmond is, but you know if that's what I want, <laughs> and I want. But but it, it it feels more like your own, and that's what the that's what a digital partner is when it feels like it is, whether it was there in the past or not. But my answer is absolutely yes. I think we have it. It's just going to be much more front and center now. And within that, do you what do you see as the risks then, and what do you see as the opportunities of AI in the ed tech environment? 
I think the, the risks, uh, well, well, I think I think they're, they're tied. Risks and opportunities are, are tied, and threats and opportunities are tied. Oh, you know the old Chinese proverb. I, I think the risks are not being ready. The risks are typical of any any transition and change, and you can go back to time of the Luddites. Anything where there's a fundamental change on the basis of which you operate a system. And as a human, you're asked to change your perspective or outlook or adopt new technology, there's going to be resistance. Sometimes for the right reason, you know, there, there are strikes happening in, in the cinematic community right now uh, because uh, actors are rightly worried about their rights of their images and they're not getting the fair stake um, in the upside of that opportunity. So there's a, there's a risk that there'll be a backlash. Personally, I saw Indiana Jones at the weekend. It was brilliant. You know, okay, Harrison Ford is in his 80s and it doesn't may have less of an issue, but wasn't that a great experience of watching a movie where actually Harrison Ford played three different roles? And clearly that was quite as a as a as a as a user not affected by the industry, it was very positive. The risk, of course, that is if you extend that to education, um, what will content writers, what will some of the frontline staff view that where then taken out of the loop potentially. Um, so there's a risk there. There's a risk that it's not adopted. The risk there's resistance. And there's a bigger risk that institutions are not ready. Not that long ago, and, I, and I'm, I'm talking less than five years ago, uh, higher education institutions globally, I know a bit about North America, but particularly about the UK, were not ready for basic digitization. That's not even frontline. That was even the back office digitization. And, and those organizations were probably 10, 20 years behind, behind the eight ball in terms of digitization. So if that was happening in basic digitization, and that was just student data uh, course being digitized, not even translated from you know, the physical to the digital, this is going to be such a big step that I think we just have to give it time. Um, so the risks are not being ready. The risks are also those who are pushing the technology need to have patience. If they push it too hard, it will break and they'll have a negative reaction. From um, and, and also the risks are not looking at it in the right part of ed tech. You know, you, you still want, you know, personally, I, I, you know, maybe this is an old view. Personally, I still want face-to-face -face teaching of children. I still yes. want that one generation to next generation. So there's a potential that gets forgotten and the screen time becomes overwhelming. The opportunities are amazing. Opportunities, I think, from assessment to um, content curation, um, just from changing the way that education is presented to the learner, changing what is taught and how it's taught, regurgitating of, of facts is no longer relevant. We kind of, even we grew up in that generation where if it was available online, learning it, rote learning it doesn't make sense. That will, that will have a big impact because it requires a different type of um, process of learning for the student about analysis, um, um, so almost analysis rather than just basic interpretation, thought process, more context about the content, not the content itself, um, which is going to be interesting. I think that takes us to a next level of what we take as base knowledge and what we take as derived and learned knowledge. Yeah, I, it's a, it'll hopefully help education develop the learners of today for the tomorrow environment where it's all about that creativity it's about context it's about adding value beyond the manual input piece it's about how they utilize technology to have greater value 
Um, what about biased? What about uh, data security? What are your thoughts about those risks? Um, interesting. Bias has always always been there. So even even when algorithms and AI are programmed by humans, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, Having said that, that's a bit scary because what what the head of Google said recently is you know some of the Google AI was doing things on their own back, which is slightly scary. We don't want AI to become sentient quite yet. Um, no. However, however, I think there if you know again same philosophy as 50 years ago, rubbish in, rubbish out. If what is programmed is done in an ethical manner, one hopes that takes a bias away. Um, we'll only know that once we have evidence about it. Um, and I can be told a thousand times that there'll be no bias, but I want to know who's the, who the programming is and how the programming is done and how, how the learning is undertaken and what the learning models are like. So I'm hoping um, that um, the AI tools and AI in education is colorblind, gender blind, um, uh, sexuality blind, but I will need to see that, the orientation, Brian, sorry. Um, and I, I need, I'd need to see that. I would hope that makes a difference and doesn't reinforce. Um, yes. There'll be stories, you know, we, we will hear stories. We will hear stories about interview process. We'll hear stories about um, discrimination in, in, in one of the isms um, and it will get corrected. So I think people should not assume it's going to be smooth. Like with everything, it's not going to be smooth. There will be bumps, but as long as it's for the greater good, um, and to, to, be, to, be, to be honest, we want to hear the, the, the bad stories so they can be corrected. I hope yes. people do raise the bad stories because if, if they're not raised, they won't be corrected and we will then have um, uh, an unfair environment and, and um, biases existing. Gotcha. So where do you see from a, from the parts of the world, where do you see the winners for this and where do you see the losers? Is the developing world going to get left behind or is this going to help them catapult forwards, do you think? I think my my only reference uh, uh, and, and recent comparator would be mobile technology. Um, and I was actually living overseas when mobile technology kicked off. And the adoption was amazing in international territories, more uh, in developing territories rather than developed. Because in developed, you have existing technology frameworks, policies that need to be changed. In developing te te territories, it is virgin territory. It is being created. And if it's going to be created on the back of AI, on the back of um, large language models, I suspect in the, in the mid to long run, adoption internationally, particularly in the developing territories will be higher. And um, particularly the, the, the population base is higher, the need uh, for catching up in inverted commas is higher. And I think the adoption will be higher. So yeah, I, th I think we should be very careful um, um, about making assumptions that it'll be the other way around. Because as an enabler, as an efficient, financially efficient enabler, that's going to be quite interesting. And I think it may challenge the education markets in developed countries, which have got something to replace and something to change, where even if there have been new models or policies or embedded technologies in developing countries, they're still fairly nascent. They're fairly you know, young and they're much more malleable as opposed to you know, changing something in, in the UK or the US could well just take a lot longer. Brilliant. That's very interesting. Where do you see the investment opportunities? Um, investments. I think um, you and others know my view of investment opportunities in education, um, and I won't go down the route of talking about smoke and mirrors. 
But inevitably, that will happen. Inevitably, there will be investment into what investors perceive as AI, which really isn't AI. You know, you've got to ask the five horrible questions and peel the layers of the onion to realize whether it is actually large language models, where the investors really understand the impact on education, rather than it looks good on a PowerPoint slide. You know, it's a classic move within investment community of they, they need to prove to their family offices and their LPs that they're investing in the right space so they will make some bad decisions that's part of the process um so th i think investment opportunities is this i know i still i still find myself connected to uh, the scale up and the growth education companies and there are some fantastic businesses out there there are some fantastic entrepreneurs who are looking at ai with such a sharp mind in terms of particularly the large language models um, and generative AI with a view of how it can really save time for teachers, how it can really drive education. And I hope those opportunities are really appreciated by some of the investors. Um, you know, we've, we've, you know, we've heard the stories of the, of the very large investments in education, the biojews of the world, yes. where you know, a lot of money is thrown and then there's a bit of blindness as to whether it's actually making a difference. And, and that, that has, a, has a significant negative effect on the whole industry. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and look, there is some hype here. So yeah. it's, I agree that there will probably be some interesting investments that will cause challenges, but in a wider scale, this is the next phase of evolution. It's just a question yeah. of everybody's got to be patient. This is education yeah. technology. It takes yeah. time to adapt. Yeah. Okay, then let's let's move on and talk into other technologies, which in my opinion are still lacked the ability to get true traction what what about augmented reality what about virtual reality vr do you see great potential in this revolution revolutionizing education and being incorporated or do you see this as a gimmick um like with most technologies including the simple technology like bluetooth it starts with one agenda it becomes something very different we can't survive these days without earphones and devices connecting to Bluetooth. That's not was the original agenda. The original agenda was Bluetooth was supposed to be the new Wi-Fi. It went up, it died a death, it came back in a new avatar. AR VR is doing the same. You know, we saw it five years ago um, with Google Boxes and everything, and it was all a bit clunky. You know, you were going to chemistry labs to pour out chemicals into a test tube. It, it was interesting, but there was nothing more than the novelty value. Yet now I see some fantastic opportunities and I, and I would thoroughly recommend everyone who hasn't to sign up to Apple Vision Pro, sign up to the, sign up to making sure you get access to a demo next year when it comes out in the UK early 24. That will change the world. I mean, I, I'm, I get passionate about certain technologies. I don't think I've seen anything like Apple Vision Pro yet. And that is where I think AR will come in where you can really use that technology on an everyday basis. I think from an education point of view, you know, it, 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 education is, is never the big dramatic jump. It's a small incremental changes. Having yes. that device or a device in a classroom environment where all students have access to it for you know, 20 minutes in a lesson or five minutes in a lesson, just to get everyone on the same page, that's kind of quite powerful. I think that as it, because it, it won't be a novelty, it's an enabler. And I think advice to anyone who's developing those technologies don't say the classic thing in your pitch that it's all things to all people, it's everything. It's an enabler to 
assist on the journey. That does not disenfranchise the teachers. It does not alienate um, the, the Luddites. It, it basically gets everyone realizing this is a part of the journey. It's a small piece of the journey. You know, you know <laughs> so, so many years ago, you know, we were going to, the world was going to change because we were all going to be on video conferencing 15, 20 years ago. And when it happened, <laughs> there was no global announcement that we are now going to have video technology for. And it just happened. And we just adopted it because we chose to adopt it. Um, yes. So I think the example is that, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we didn't have video conferencing and we there was sci-fi about it even 40 years ago. And when it came, it emerged slowly as an enabling part of our lives. The tragedy of COVID accelerated it. But that's how technology gets adopted. And I think AR, VR will go down the, through the same route. Um, in, in education particularly, I've seen some great applications. And I think as long as it is done as part of an overall solution, it'll get much bigger adoption because, as I said, it won't alienate or disenfranchise any of the teachers. Excellent. Dan, thank you very much for your time. Some very interesting thoughts there. Um, I think we are at a very interesting time in the wider ed tech landscape, especially as AI comes into all our lives through different pieces. I think you've given us a real global and regional insight. Thank you again for making the time to talk to us and good luck with your new position. I look forward to speaking with you in due course about the great things that you are making happen. Thank you very much, Julian. Really appreciate being here and uh, love your podcasts. And so please continue with them. I'll, I'll wait out for the next wait for the next one.